1: Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippi, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. Georgia, what a way to cap off 2022 for Democrats and the pro-democracy coalition. Alex and I will break it down, but we also wanted to bring in a special guest to talk about Georgia and the rest of the 2022 cycle. We had John DeLavope on a few weeks ago, and you should listen to that show. He's been diving into the data on Gen Z and how the youth vote helped win several key races for Democrats this year. So we thought we'd bring on Victor She, who helped organize Generation Z across the country this year with Voters Up Tomorrow. Victor, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Alex, get us started. Well, guys, we, we got to talk Georgia.
2: So now that Georgia's in the books, and uh, this really was a historic cycle for Democrats, right? It's it's not just no red wave. It's not just that I think for the first time in three years, Georgia voters don't have to hear radical, liberal Raphael Warnock on an ad for the first time in three years, literally. But they they also gained in the Senate. So I want your macro take, guys, on the big picture.
3: Yeah, so I mean, in terms of the macro view of what I think happened, I mean, like you said, Alex, this was a historic election, as you know, historically, the president loses about, you know, 10 or more uh, House seats, and in the Senate, they usually uh, lose about four seats. This is the first time since uh, World War Two that the president hasn't lost any seats in the Senate. And in large part, I think that's because of um, young people and how we showed up in key battleground states like Pennsylvania and Georgia. And, and, you know, last night, you saw the I think, case in point, where young people showed up in key kind of of metropolitan areas uh, on college campuses like University of Georgia, Emory, Spelman, Morehouse, they really showed up in this election helped help re-elect Reverend Warnock. And it's important, I think, to remember in Georgia that this is a place where 20 years ago it was solidly red. And then within 20 years, they've managed to flip this state blue. Uh, this is Reverend Warnock's fourth election that he has won over the past uh, two years. So it's been quite remarkable, I think, what's happened in this election cycle and just has really, I think, deviated from history and I think in large part because of the role that Gen he had in in our vote
1: one of the things i just want to call out dave pell because i think victor he had like one of the best lines that that i've seen on the race georgia gave herschel walker the heisman and america's been but not break defense against political tragedy held up once again i I saw a tweet to get to what you were talking about victor with some perspective from daily co's First midterm since 1962 that Democrats netted Senate seats while holding the White House. The first midterm since 34, 1934, that the White House Party netted Senate seats and governorships. And the first midterm since 1934 that the White House Party did not lose a single Senate seat. And And, you know, I do think... Victor, you're right. I mean, actually, there's a couple of things that are really interesting. The first one that I noted on a different show last night was that 74,000 people voted in the election yesterday. As we talk, this will go on out Friday, but basically on Tuesday night, 74,000 people voted in the early vote who did not vote in the November 2022 general election. And in that group, Democrats led by 34 points. So when you're looking at this, you know, margin, I think it's going to be about 100, 150,000 votes. That's pretty amazing that the apparatus out there that Stacey Abrams and and others have built within the Democratic and the pro-democracy coalition was able to get that 74,000 folks with a 34 point lead who did not vote in November of 2022, just a month ago. And then I think, Victor, I think when you talk about Gen Z and younger voters, I mean, the thing that sticks out, and you can't state this enough, is Democrats won voters under 40 by a wide margin, but lost everybody over 40. I mean, the realistic thing here was I think it was over 40 Democrats lost that vote by 10 points. Democrats won under 40 voters by 18 points, and I think one Generation Z by over 30. And I, that definitely held up on Tuesday. And so you, you add those two things together, the energy on the ground to get people who had not voted in the general election and came out and you put Gen Z together. And I think those two factors are clearly front and center what that margin was all about on Tuesday night that delivered the victory to Warnock and Democrats and the pro-democracy folks that understood the real threat out there.
3: I I, I totally agree with you, what you said. I think you laid it out very nicely. For Generation Z, this election was, I think, another point of, I think, an indication where young people really showed up. We started doing this in 2018, and that was when, We really, I think that 2016 represented a time when most young people started paying attention to politics, because I think a lot of Generation Z and young people were very idealistic about someone like Hillary Clinton winning office in 2016, becoming the first woman president. But when we saw Donald Trump, I guess, go into office, what we saw was a president who really cared nothing for, you know, rules, for traditions, for the norms that define a presidency. And so we began showing up in huge numbers in 2018. That's what really allowed this blue wave to usher in in 2018 and 2020. We did the same thing. Uh, more, we set another record with, I think, more than 50% of young people turning out to vote for Joe Biden. And then again, uh, in the 2021 runoff election in Georgia, helping elect both Reverend Warnock and John Ossoff. And then again, in this election cycle, you saw young people overly, overwhelmingly voting for a Democrat. And I think a large part of that is because of um, what happened earlier this year with the Dobbs decision, basically the Supreme Court overturning this right to an abortion, because for young people living in this world, I think the majority of us thought that abortion would be a guaranteed right. But when the Supreme Court overturned that, I think it was a really big slap on the face for a lot of young women out there who might be scared about getting an abortion, who might really rely on getting abortion, who can't anymore. And so I think the Supreme Court had a large thing to do with it. But also at the same time, it's not just kind of what Republicans were doing, but also I think Democrats and President, and Biden delivering on a lot of the key promises that young people cared about, like climate change, uh, student loan forgiveness, gun reform, even though that's, I think there's much more to do on that front. But on all of these issues, I think it's clear to young people that you have these really two different political parties. And at the end of the day, when it came time to vote, that's why you saw a lot of young people vote for Democrats and help Democrats uh, win and prevent that red wave that a lot of pundits and pollsters were, I think, talking about.
1: So, Victor, I'm going to put my age out there a little bit. You know, I'm 67, which means I've seen things that you have not seen. <laughs> but, but one of the things that I saw, and this is a theory I've had now for the last 18 months, is in the 1980s, the Reagan revolution and Reagan's morning in America and his sort of, and the, what was the perceived failure at the time of the Carter administration drove young people I mean, in a really compelling way, into the Republican Party. And Democrats lost that generation forever. Many of them now, by the way, are the folks wearing MAGA hats, and they'd consider Reagan a, a rhino now. He wouldn't even be welcome in the party that they're still in. But what strikes me is it's a very similar t- Reagan at the time was the oldest president in history. Biden today is the oldest president in history. And at the same time, You know, instead of Carter sort of being part of the angst that the generation had as it started to look to Reagan and the Republicans, it's Trump and MAGA and a disbelief in science, denial of climate change and all that, the bigotry and racism that's repelling, I think, in the same way the Republican Party right now, the MAGA cult party, could be losing Generation Z forever, because it's so anathema to their values. And I'd like you to speak to this about sort of caring about everybody's rights, not just their own and worrying about climate and these things that the Republican Party is just in complete denial about, you know, the, the Republican Party sort of like married to the NRA, you know, back then I was going to school and hiding under my desk for nuclear air raid drills Everybody in Generation Z passed to deal with gun violence, with mass shooting drills in the same way. I mean, there's just some really parallels here. And I know how Democrats lost that generation, and we're still in trouble because of that. But I really think Gen Z is, it's kind of like the mirror image of what happened. And it could be the generation that defends democracy and rights and yes, Democrats, hey, it's not like we got Generation Z. We've got to fight for it. We have to to be there on climate change and other issues. But I think the Republicans have a hard time repairing the damage they've done.
3: I, I think that's a really accurate theory. And part of the reason why I... believe that's right, is because what Republicans have been doing, I think, appeals only to a specific demographic. And that's, I think, the, the white demographic, older generation, their base is really shrinking by the day. Because what you see in Generation Z that's different, I think, from the Republican demographic is that Gen Z is the most diverse generation in America. We are racially diverse, economic diverse, educationally diverse. We are just really diverse as a generation. So for Republicans, I think it's not a great idea and not a really smart strategy only to appeal to that you know specific subset of the electorate because what they do is they end up ignoring a lot of the youth voices and i think at the same time too what you've been seeing clearly from republicans is they they find that attacking young, or trying to go after you know what young people learn in the classrooms how we can express ourselves is a smart political strategy. But it really isn't because, you know, I was talking to one of my roommates the other day about critical race theory. And he said that he had actually never heard of the term critical race theory until Republicans brought it up. And you have all of these attempts by Republicans to limit what, you know, children and students can say in the classroom. And I think young people are a lot smarter than that. And we can see, I think, right through their attempts to sow that division and chaos within kind of the electorate. And so I think for now, at least what we've been seeing from the Republican Party is becoming increasingly hard for young people to support. And, you know, you would think that Republicans would learn something and start listening to young voices. But, you know, right after the 2022 midterm elections, the best thing that Republicans could offer was raising the voting age to 21 or, um, you know, saying that young people are dumb for voting for Democrats. And I think it's just not a sustainable way to keep young voters engaged. And, And, you know, I think what you Touched on uh, earlier is so important, and that's that even Democrats um, don't have Gen Z in the bag. We really have to fight to keep Gen Zers at the table. Um, you know, now that Gen Zers have showed up, I think a lot of my peers and a lot of young people that I've been talking to want to see how. Our vote is going to translate into real results. And that's going to be on President Biden and Democrats to do their part to make sure that young voters are still engaged to include us in those conversations and really continue delivering on those policies that we care about. But I think, as you said, for Republicans, it seems like Gen Z is um, a lost hope for them because there's nothing that they're going to do, I think, from now until um, we get older that will appeal to us unless they dramatically change the way that they they reach us and, and listen to us.
1: Yeah, but I think that's like so important to issues like gun violence. You know, the NRA generation yeah. is moving on. You know, I mean, it's just the way it is. Again, I mean, all these issues that that we really have to deal with that take all of us together to confront and meet the challenge. That's something that that I think Generation Z ter- takes to heart. And look, Democrats, we don't have all the answers, but we we aren't in denial about any of those things. You know, and frankly, the biggest problem with Progress from the Democratic side on on gun violence, on climate change, is an obstinate obstructionist, you know, mega cult party. That in this close, you know, 50 50, thank God we got 51 seats now with Warnock. Thank you, Gen Z, for helping make that happen. I just think the problem for Democrats is there's only so much we can do with the slim majority that we now have in the Senate and the Republicans, you know, obstructing in the House now and doing their their crazy investigations and all that stuff. Otherwise, I think there'd be big movement on a lot of the issues that are important, uh, not just to Generation Z, but to the country. That's one thing I learned when I was in my 20s working as a progressive idealist was that I learned over time that it's better to fight for every inch but also be patient about it because the other side is out there. They're the ones that are actually stopping the progress that we all want, and we can't have the progress we want tomorrow, and that's and I think that's harder to. It's harder to accept that. I found it really hard to accept when I was in my twenties. I'm just being honest about it. You know, I, I wanted peace now, or you know, whatever. You know, marching with Cesar Chavez and the farm workers, you know, in the grape boycotts and in California against the big wine growers. I mean, I was doing all these things, but like there's an opposition out there that's trying to thwart us and that's what we need to join together to fight and be practical about it. That's just old guy wisdom there, but I just wanted to pass it on.
3: I I feel like one thing that makes this generation, I think, unique is if you talk to Republicans and and young Democrats, and that's one of the questions I get most often, you know, is there anything that young Republicans and young Democrats agree on? I think there are a couple of things, and, and they all have to do with the sense that I think for this generation that has so many kind of Problems and issues coming after us, whether it's climate change, you know, gun, uh, sh- you know, shooting drills or, or mass um, uh, shootings. The one thing that I think unites a lot of young people is the fact that we are really pragmatic in how we see the world. With all of these issues coming at us, we just want to see our world get better. And you know, sure, the process might be different in how we get to the end goal, but the end goal is that we are. I think uh, at the end of the day, we just want to see our lives get better. And you saw that um, earlier this year with the with the Bipartisan uh, Safer Communities Act, which took a first step in passing a uh, long needed uh, gun reform legislation. You know, on one hand, young people could have said, you know, we want more, we aren't going to settle for uh, anything but, you know, nationwide background checks and an assault weapons ban. But we just simply wanted our lives to get better. And then we knew that, okay, that's the first step. And then we're going to keep fighting for more. But I think there is this kind of pragmatic, pragmatic kind of nature within Gen Z about, you know, there's so much going after us. So instead of nothing, we're t- we'll take something. And so um, that's why I think you're seeing a lot of movement from the administration to address these things. And I think President Biden's also kind of governing in the same way where he realizes this wasn't the Senate that he had two decades ago, he has to just settle for, um, you know, what he can. And I think that makes a big difference. And for um, Gen Zers in this world, I think they appreciate that. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts, so, you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones
1: who get it done. So, guys, I want to step just slightly
2: back here, just from a tactical perspective and I want to make sure we we get to this point. There, there was one term that was thrown around this year that I think a lot of our listeners want to know a little more about, relational organizing. Because yeah, we won Gen Z, like you mentioned, Joe, there's all these issues out there that Gen Z cares about, and it still feels like even on the Democratic side, I think we've got some room to grow in terms of how we talk to people and how we organize it. Joe's an organizer. I'm an organizer. Victor, you're an organizer. How do we grow this relational organizing and and, and how do we make sure that we are connecting in the ways we need to?
3: Well, I'm I'm really glad you asked that question because I remember back in, so I started off as an organizer in 2016 on a congressional race and I took my fall quarter to organize on the Biden campaign. I remember one of the things that they told us during the pandemic, because this was an 2020 was that we needed to meet people where they are. And, and you know, as, as any organizer, that means, you know, just meeting people wherever they are, having those conversations with them, uh, knocking on doors, making phone calls, uh, just going wherever the voter is. And I think that's a model that works for one particular generation in the sense that you can meet older generations where they are in coffee shops and person. But with young people, what that means is you have to meet them where they are. And young people are in just really different communities and spaces compared to older generations. We are more online than older generations, we tend not to kind of be in in person spaces. And so part of the thing that I think my, myself in terms of how to reach younger voters thinks about a lot is how do we have those conversations on digital spaces. And um, a lot of it is through social media. Um, a lot of platforms like Instagram and TikTok allow you to create these short but digestible pieces of information where you know you can say something to young voters about you know the importance of voting and then get them to take action. And Instagram also is a great platform to just talk to young voters. A lot of young voters feel like um, some of the graphics on Instagram speak more to them and that they learn uh, a lot about the civics process through Instagram. And so I think, you know, meeting young people where they are is really important. And for relational organizing just as a term, that means just telling young voters, you know, talk to one person in your life that's going to be the conversation that's going to really matter because for I think a lot of politicians they think about okay like if if we talk to young voters that's what's going to matter but at the end of the day for a lot of young voters the most effective messengers are our peers and that's what relational organizing is all about is having those one-on-one interactions peer-to-peer interactions to make sure that young voters can relate to the other person that's um, you know communicating the message and it becomes much more effective when you when you have someone your age, communicate a message than someone, you know, 50 years or 60 years older than than you. And so I think relational organizing was absolutely essential in how at least I and, and Voters of Tomorrow, which is a Gen Z-led organization, approached our work with sending texts, making phone calls, and making sure that those texts and phone calls and in-person conversations came from high school and college students so they could easily relate to the other person talking.
1: I was going to say that's something that I've been a big proponent of since the Dean campaign back in 2003. It's gotten even more important. That was back then, many years later, almost two decades now. You know, the fact is a politician telling you, hey, I just gave a great speech, is nothing like your best friend telling you, hey, Victor, you got to listen to this speech. It's amazing. You know, this guy really understands what we're thinking and what we're talking about. It's much more powerful, the peer-to-peer relational organizing is is much more important however it pains me to hear you say that I at being 67 am not a good messenger <laughs> but hey, you know messenger. I've tried messenger. over the years <laughs> but no seriously uh it, it it's so powerful for your friend a coworker, a neighbor somebody who you know You have so much power out there, regardless of what your age is, to use that relationship to have a conversation that can really move somebody and make them think about the future of this country in a different way. And I think that is the real gift of Gen Z, is that they understand a lot of the platforms better. And I think, you know, if you think about sort of this literally generational line of plus 40 It's like the NRA generation, if you want to look at that. And then you look under 40, and it's a generation that sees and understands guns in a totally different way and sees gun violence in a totally different way because of what they've experienced in their lives. I think that's the foundation, in other words, as that, as you get older and have children. And, you know, that's the cultural, this is going to be the generation that forges the cultural change that could be really significant and different and move our country in a very positive way on some very critical issues like climate change, gun violence, and a lot of other things as well. But I've just been struck by how I think we're at this inflection point and gen z is at the leading edge of making the change and in fact that's part of what MAGA is so freaked out about right
3: so if, if I can just say one one other point about relational organizing, something that I thought was fascinating, was I think this kind of willingness to have a conversation with our peers really took off after the Dobbs decision, because what that was, I, I think for a lot of young people represented, was this was the first time that, again, you know, this generation saw a right get overturned by the Supreme Court, and after that, you could literally track in the data how many young people registered to vote, and for me at least, at least for the young, um, you know, girls in my life, or, you know, the, the young generation... Z um, woman out there. One of the things that they, I think, really kind of did so well was they were willing to have those conversations with, you know, uh, young generation guys. And and I think that was really effective because this was a, uh, an issue that really cut across gender for Generation Z. You know, you, you can't, you know, get an abortion without someone, without a male and a female. And so uh, I think that was a conversation that a lot of young Generation Z women were were more willing to have after the Dobbs decision, I think really made a big difference because it's those individual conversations that I think are most powerful. You know, you can't say, you you can't just leave, uh, you know, you, you you have to kind of be in that conversation with the other person. I think that's what made relational organizing really important after uh, the Dobbs decision. And a lot of that was, I think, spearheaded by our particular um, subset of Generation Z.
2: So, Victor, I want to get back to one more thing Joe just said right at the end there, which was, this is why MAGA is so freaked out and you saw that when i think there the the one reaction that i know twitter was all over but seems like was pretty widespread was not hey let's start talking to these this generation in a way they understand and immediately they understand it's let's just raise the voting age has that have 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 you seen that
3: kind of sink in at all um so in terms of I think the Republicans, I think they definitely are freaked out. Otherwise, I, I can't think of any other reason why they would want to raise the voting age to 21, why they wouldn't want to raise the voting age beyond 21. And then also today, Newt Gingrich, um, while we're recording this, we're recording this on Wednesday, um, he came to Fox News and um, uh, after the, you know, Warnock victory in Georgia and basically said, you know, we just Republicans just have to go on TikTok and, and sell their message. Well, the thing is that I think they they discount the fact that young people, I think, are much smarter than they think. Republicans can't just go on TikTok and say what they're saying and and expect young people to somehow just click on. I think they need to have real policies. They need to have a record. You know, if you look at a lot of the bills that, you know, young people care about that President Biden was able to accomplish that resonate with young voters, things like the Inflation Reduction Act, the Safer Communities Act, those are bills that Republicans either all voted against or the vast majority of Republicans voted against. And so they're really doesn't match with what they're trying to say. And so um, I think, you know, for, for Newt Gingrich, for the Republican Party, I think they're definitely in a bit of a crisis mode because they realize that Generation Z and millennials are expected by 2024 to outnumber any generation in America. So the political power that Gen Zers are, are building and millennials are building are, are only increasing. And I think Republicans realize that and they realize, you know, they, they can't win any election without a lot of young voters voting for that.
1: Yeah, I think that's the most significant divide all the different exit poll numbers that, you know, with what's happening with Hispanics, whatever. The fact is Republicans won people over 40 by 10. Democrats won people under 40 by 18. And that's right now why we're in this Mm -hmm. dead heat that we saw. I mean, all these races being decided by, well, by by 2024, that's going to bump up a little bit. You know, and by 2028, I mean, it it is a losing proposition. They are on the wrong side. You can hang with the NRA generation all you want. Hang with people who deny that climate change is real. Total, like, denial of science, period. Plus, homophobia, racism, embracing white supremacists. All of this is just anathema. To a generation that knows they're going to be the ones paying the price for climate change if we don't do something about it, all of this is—I just think—a party that is going to lose this generation forever, and I really don't even see how they can win it back. I mean, what—that tomorrow they yeah. get religion? I mean, it's not going to happen. First of all, they're still stuck in Trump Magaland and are too afraid, even even after the debacle of twenty twenty-two. He's still likely to be their nominee. It's just an an amazing thing to watch.
3: It's it's amazing and it's sad too. I think because I mean I I so I co-host a podcast with Jill Winebanks, who is part of the Watergate team. And one of the things that she always tells me is, you know, what what made I think that generation. Uh, I guess that era so unique and so different from this generation is that one, there were only three media networks, you know, three major networks, they all had the same facts, they all, uh, you know, they may have disagreed on opinion and policy, but they all agreed on the same facts. And for Republicans back in the day, they believed in facts, and they also demanded Richard Nixon to uh, resign. And so I think it's such a different generation. It's such a different era that we now live in, and you know, I I wish that we could be in a place where you know both parties could agree on just basic things like calling out anti-Semitism, calling out racism, calling out homophobia. You know, saying that the termination of the U.S. Constitution is antithetical to every single value that we have. But what you have is you have a slim majority of or a slim minority of Republicans who are willing to come out against these things because they actually have. A moral backbone, but I think the vast majority of people, and I'm quoting um, the the great, oh, who's the Washington Post columnist? Who's the conservative? Um, uh, oh, I'm blicking his name. Uh, he's oh, he's on ABC sometimes, but how, he. oh
1: Wait 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 wait. How old
3: are you? Um, twenty. Okay,
1: I just I forget things all the time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I know this, is, this isn't.
2: No, are you trying to quote George Will right now?
3: George Will, yes. Well, because yeah, George okay. Will, I think, said this one <laughs> one thing. Um, I, I was watching ABC once, and I think he he hit the nail right on the head when he said He's The Republican Party is literally scared of their base, and I think you saw this when Trump a couple months ago urged his crowd to get vaccinated. And they literally booed Trump because I think it's kind of this Frankenstein that's been released and they can't bring it back. And for the Republican Party, it's, you know, I, I think we often talk about, will we go back to an era of facts and when truth mattered. I'm just not sure we are with this Republican Party. And it's and it's the, the sad reality and one that young people, I think, realize and know that this is the future that we're going to live in. And so the only alternative now is to vote for um, the party that does believe in truth and facts and the policies that we care yeah, about.
1: Yeah, George will. He and I have disagreed on things uh, over the years, but he's another old wise guy that I think actually, you know, has got his finger on the pulse of what's wrong right now in the Republican Party. Yeah,
3: I think him and him and David French are the two conservative voices that I tend to because because I I don't like just kind of receiving my news from just one side. I like to hopefully diversify the viewpoints. But David French is another person who I really respect for his willingness to speak up against. Trump, but also his kind of how he looks at the Republican Party and and all that. But they're two great voices, I think.
2: So, guys, we're just about out of time, but I I just want to ask one more big question. Joe, you and I have talked about it at length. You mentioned earlier, pretty big loss in Georgia this week. Does this make Donald Trump the biggest loser in history?
3: Um, At least in my lifetime, yes. (laughs) Um, I think I think. It's, it's remarkable how much Trump has lost. I mean, he endorsed so many election deniers across the country, virtually every single one of them lost. I can only think of, you know, J.D. Vance in Ohio, who won maybe a, just a couple others at best. There are all these investigations into Trump from, you know, the January 6th committee to the Trump board to um, Fulton County and, and that DA. And, you know, I just think Trump is losing really, really badly. And uh, it, it's 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 kind of embarrassing for him. And he seems to keep on you know marching ahead. But I think I think he, he is really becoming a, a, a big loser in terms of who he's endorsing and, and all of those people that he's endorsed who's lost.
1: Well, I mean, he's a big loser. But the reality is, I mean, Alan Smith on Twitter pointed out that Trump was two and sixteen two wins and 14 losses uh, in key statewide endorsements in swing wow. states. I think it may be wow. three in 17. The only two were Lombardo and the Nevada governor's race in Ron Johnson, Wisconsin. But I think you got to count Ohio as well.
2: It was swing states. Biden won, I think was the important part. Uh, there. Well,
1: but you know, so, it, so it's yeah. two and 16, but my point is, you know, the fact is that you hit it, Victor, again, with what you said about, them being afraid of their base. So that base, even if it's 30%, 40% run by Trump, they can't win without that. They cannot win without that white supremacist base, without the MAGA cult that reveres and worships Trump. They cannot, if that group walks, I mean, you look at how close these races have been. If that group stays, and by the way, they did stay home, some of them in Georgia, in 2020 in that runoff, and that's why we have two Senate seats, because Trump told them not to do it. So that's the whole reason. He's holding the entire party hostage with that base. And so unless and until I see somebody actually step up and challenge him and take him on and defeat him in primaries, which I just don't see happening, Trump is going to continue to own this party and therefore that's the part of the whole thing about losing this generation. I mean, maybe if they could pivot, I could see, you know, making some arguments. But if they go down this trail for another 2 years and run and Trump is their nominee, one, I think that generational shift that we're seeing is only going to be larger because the people who are 40 and under today, are, there's more of them growing up and there'll be new your your brothers and sisters will be coming right behind you. And I think Gen Z is going to have a lot of influence on them. So I just see this as a big pivot moment. I just see the Republican Party totally swinging and missing. And that's going to have consequences not just now, but for for decades
3: do you remember that um, one representative in New York, Chris Jacobs, and he um, came out and uh, supported an assault weapons ban? This is re- this was a Republican in um, yeah. New York in Buffalo, and it was just days after that he came out and and supported an assault weapons ban that he, you know, a bunch of Republicans came out and he said he wouldn't run for re-election. I think that yeah. just it's another one of those parts where it's like you know that's an issue that Gen Z cares a lot about, and he came out courageous voice in his party and and supported it and boom, he just got kicked right out. And it's like, there's just no room for sanity anymore. And it's depressing.
1: Well, look, I remember in the early 80s thinking my generation would change everything, but I really think yours will. So thanks, Victor, for coming on. And thanks everyone for listening to that trippy show. Just a reminder, the podcast will always be free and is now a part of Resolute Square, which, by the way, Victor has a great piece that he wrote for Resolute Square. We'll include it in our show notes because you should read it. You know, Resolute Square is a new force in the fight against autocracy. We've got everything from regular strategy calls to columns from some of the smartest people, including Victor. I highly encourage you to go check out his column. Learn more and join us at ResoluteSquare.com backslash trippy. Please subscribe to That Trippy Show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. And you can always send us a question to Show at gmail.com or leave us a question and review on iTunes. Victor, really, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I really enjoyed it.
3: Thanks so much for having me. It was great talking to you, Joe, and a huge fan and admirer of your work.
1: Thanks, man. We'll be back next week, everybody. Take care.